Well, thank you for the uh, opportunity of being able to come and to share with you. And my goodness, why spread the good news? Um, it's like asking a mouse, does it like cheese? It's a, a wonderful topic that I'd love to speak on this morning. Um, I was actually being uh, wheeled into a theatre to have a suspicious lump uh, taken out from just below uh, the bottom of my neck and my heart was racing um, my mind was like a traffic jam thoughts of what is this lump is it cancerous shooting up God help me <laughs> um, what are they going to do will I feel pain and as this collision of thoughts was happening in my mind uh, the surgeon came up and he said now let's have a look at that lump and he reached down and he started to rub at the base of my neck a weird look came across his face he said I can't see it it's gone <laughs> and they promptly wheeled me out of the theatre <laughs> I felt like a fraud of the largest proportion and um, but oh the sense of relief <laughs> Uh, that there was nothing there. And it's interesting that um, for something to be good news, there often has to be a possibility of bad news, doesn't there? Um, you apply for a job and the good news is you get it, the bad news is you missed out. And you apply for a loan at the bank, the good news is you get it, the bad news possibility is you won't get it. You go in for a doctor's report and it's the same. And so frequently we see that good news always has a side where there's a possibility of bad news. And for us to appreciate why we need to spread the good news and goodness, there are 101 other reasons that could be given this morning apart from what I will give you. But for us to appreciate that, we need to understand what the possibility of the bad news is. Uh, as we've alluded already this morning, the terrible news of what's happened in New Zealand, and we open up our papers and we hear of tsunamis and we hear of earthquakes, hear of, uh, in Africa, Ebola plagues and kind of cataclysmic events that just seem to flood our newspapers without in any way trying to downplay the tragedy of all of those situations, there was a greater and much larger cataclysmic event that happened at the start of time. Um, and this far surpasses any nuclear explosion or terrorist attack or natural disaster. And it's found in Genesis chapter 3. And we've got it up here. Um, I imagine it was just another glorious day in Eden and in my imagination I can uh, see Eve walking along and there is a whisper and she turns her head and she sees and she's seen it many times before this magnificent tree amongst all the glorious vegetation of the Garden of Eden the tree of knowledge of good and evil I don't know whether you've ever seen any artist impressions 
of that and of course woven into that tree and there was the serpent and most artists have a picture of half human body and a snake like torso but I think Genesis isn't so much taken up with what it looked like but rather the consequences of what I have described as the most cataclysmic event in all of human history which happened then continues today and will continue till Jesus himself returns in verse 6 it says and you can read it up there when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it note those three words she saw it it was pleasing and it was desirable kind of those words remind me of a little boy riding, uh, arriving at a party and seeing a table full of lollies <laughs> pleasing and desirable and good or a teenager who's famished and stumbles in the door at Christmas lunch and the table is laden with goodies and his eyes eyed up but of course in this situation it wasn't so much that Eve needed this food because all that her and her husband Adam needed was provided within the garden and of course Eve succumbs to the temptation and the consequences of succumbing to that temptation are far more than a bloated stomach aren't they Um, have a look at the consequences up there on the screen first consequence she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it first consequence sin spread verse 7 then the eyes of both of them were open and they realised they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering coverings for themselves second consequence was shame it's interesting um, watching a YouTube clip of John Piper's commentary on this he said um, it's interesting that shame was amongst the first consequences in light of all the eating disorders and all the kinds of things that happened in this day and age then the man and his wife verse 8 heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the head from the Lord God among the trees of the garden the third consequence is they ran from God they hid from God fourth consequence but the Lord God called to the man where are you he answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid fourth consequence was fear it's interesting the the uh, most frequently uh, repeated psalm in scripture is be not afraid and this was where fear started as a consequence of um, our first parents being disobedient and then verse 11 and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from the man said the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it then the Lord God said to the woman what is this you've done and the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate and we see a fifth consequence of excusing sin so what we are observing forensically as we look at uh, this 
event of our first parents being disobedient um, is a human heart from this point on indulging in that which is shameful hiding from God having moments of being racked with uncontrollable fear and it seems to me almost a specialty that the human heart is outstanding at making excuses for inexcusable sin. It's fascinating in that dreadful event in New Zealand that Guy had an excuse. That in essence is part of the fall of the human heart. So when we look at Genesis 3, this is the bad news, sorry to give you the bad news first, we see that the image of God within the human heart has been broken. And there are many other verses to describe the nature of the human heart sins. I think probably one of the best known verses is um, Jeremiah 17.9. You know it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or as some translated and beyond cure. Um, when you look at the human heart, it says the heart is deceitful above all things. Come on, human heart. Take the Olympic dose, take the gold, the silver and the bronze in a clean sweep of wickedness. Above all things, the human heart is wicked. And it is deceitful. The word deceitful there means bent, unable to straighten. Uh, The human heart is deceitful. It's bent and it cannot be straightened by any amount of wellness classes, meditation, yoga, good good news resolutions, nothing can straighten the bentness of the human heart. It is deceitful. And if you don't believe that, go and ask a counsellor who's counselling people for sexual abuse and hear of the deceitful reasons that have been given. Ask a divorce lawyer about the deceit that there is in marriage. Uh, Have a chat to a policeman about them talking to drug addicts and the deceit that is within a drug addict's uh, thinking. Um, Go and talk to teachers who constantly face people cheating, trying to get better results. It's deceit. The human heart is bent. It is not straight. But not only is it bent, but it's beyond cure. It's terminal. There's no medication. There's no radiation. There's no stem cell research. There's no organ transplant that can fix it up. There's no miracle cure. (laughs) This is bad news. (laughs) The human heart is deceitful. It's diseased. And above all else, it is dead. You know that verse, wages of sin is death. That's the pay packet that the human heart from our first parents to this very day pays. You open up the pay packet and what do you got? Ezekiel 18.3, the soul that sins shall die. Ephesians tells us we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans says, through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin Now get this bit, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So all this bad news I've just thrown at you basically is saying that the human heart 
is dead. And what's that got to do with why spread the news? Because dead people can't help themselves. They can't. You had to talk to a corpse lately? It's normally a one-sided conversation. (laughs) Dead people can't help themselves. Dead body can't breathe. It can't move. It can't move one millimetre because it is broken. And when we look at the human heart, it is an image of God which is broken and is dead. Now, at much expense to the management, I'm not going to charge the management this, this evening. Um, went to Bunnings yesterday. this special plastic box. That cost me about five bucks, and this cost me two bucks from the little Asian Chinese shop where they were selling second-hand stuff. Now, I want you to imagine... Um, before sin entered into the world uh, that's us that's the image of God okay Uh, in us alive not dead to God but alive to God and then now please don't cringe when I do this I haven't done it haven't had a practice Oh, just hold you. Oh, I'm a bit scared to do this, but I've got to do it because it's a preaching illustration. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh no, over here. I don't want to. I don't want to break your. Um... Oh yes, there we go. Now let me ask you something. There's a point to this. I say to you, Elaine. Do you want to put that together? (laughs) Uh, It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible to put that back together. Can Can you see what I'm saying? That the human heart is dead and dead people can't help themselves because they can't put themselves back together. And you ask me, why do we need to spread the good news? Because dead people can't help themselves. Someone has to tell them. And of course, the beauty of what I'm saying here is that when a person knows Jesus, who incidentally said, amongst other things, I am the resurrection and the life. When a person knows Jesus and they share the good news with that person, there is a far greater miracle than a physical resurrection because there is an internal, as it were, Resurrection, where a person who is dead to God is given life and that life, Jesus said, that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. So the reason that we share amongst other things 
the good news is that for those who are dead, we can grant life. And Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in death, as it were, but have eternal life. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life. Revelation 20 talks about those who have received life as being having their names written in the book of what? Life. So we are bearers of life to those who are dead. I'm, I'm sitting in a cafe in North Ringwood about 10 years ago having uh, breakfast with my dear wife before I was about to go off to work. I get this searing pain in my head and suddenly everything goes black and I don't remember anything after that. The next thing I remember is um, I'm sitting, or I'm laying, not sitting, I'm laying on an ambulance gurney, gurney being wheeled out between the tables like the King of England or the Queen of England and um, put into the mica uh, ambulance. They thought I'd had some form of heart attack. And the interesting thing was I had the pain and then bang, I was gone. I did not have a second to dial triple O. Fortunately, my dear wife was there and she did. Do you realise that that person across the other side of the road, you wave to every morning, hi, how are you? You got a neighbour like that? Or that same lady that you see every week down at Coles and you're trying to get those, oh, I hate these machines, you know where you put them on and the red light comes up and the green and you're calling them over and you see her every week (laughs) or maybe that person who you've got used to seeing when you get in the train as you go to work do you realise they don't have a triple O number you are that number I am that number because I am a bearer of life because I have Jesus who is life within me. This is why we spread the good news because people are dead to God. And we have life, not that we are any better, but that we have received that life and we can pass that life on. But there is another reason. Oh, and incidentally... um, We can't do a cane. Do you remember what Cain did? Am I my brother's keeper? You know what God says? Yes, you are. You are. Because you have the triple O number in terms of being able to share the gospel and give life. The last thing I want to say is this. Another reason why we share the good news is because we carry the heart of Jesus the heart of God. Um, uh, One of the things that 
Pam and I do, I suppose this is one of the beauties of being retired now, is um, we walk about 7k a day. We love walking. We've moved to Hillsville, lovely area. Only took me about 15 hours to get here this morning, but I still go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely place, lovely place to walk. And um, you know when I like best walking? Um, a hot day and, and the heat is going out of the day and it's getting near dusk, the sun hasn't set. And you know sometimes how in the evening there is a, a cool breeze that blows and uh, you're trying to pretend you're walking fast along the road and the coolness of that breeze is so nice. Maybe it was a moment like that in verse 8 of Genesis 3. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a lovely, pleasant situation and picture is painted here, except for the rest of verse 8. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can you, can you see them over there? There they are cowering behind those bushes. You can just see an eye here and an arm there. And God's walking along in the cool of the evening and he says, first question God asks in scripture, he says, where are you? Where are you? Now, was he asking that to get a geographical point on where they were? Were they playing some kind of child's game of hide and seek? Do you really think that God didn't know where they were when he said, where are you? I love those words because it's not a question that is seeking a geographical answer. It's a question of a seeking God trying to find a disobedient and God rejecting first parents. And that where are you of God seeking those who would hide from him in shame, in fear, in all the things that we talked about before didn't stop in Genesis 3, did it? Remember Noah built this ginormous ark. Um, some commentators say he spent 120 years building the ark. Um, and the doors open. He's declared in the New Testament as a preacher of righteousness. And can you see Noah putting his hammer down one day and standing on his box and and talking about a catastrophe that's going to come? And the people reject and eventually the day comes that it says in Genesis and the Lord shut him in. That ark stood there as God's where are you for 120 years. And those people did exactly what our first parents did. They rejected it. And then came Israel the great where are you of the Old Testament 
the where are you to the nations round about and despite the infidelity and idolatry of the Israelites they still stood there over the years as God's where are you and the response was nothing until eventually the climactic where are you comes when Jesus himself comes and he is God's where are you I seek you who are dead I want to give you life I'm come that you might have life I'm the way the truth and the life you are dead I'm come and what does humanity do to God's where are you they butcher him on a cross and my question this morning to us is what is God's where are you now you are I am God's where are you we are the bearers of light and we are the ones that are to be the expression of the heart because we carry the heart of God we carry the heart of God to those who are dead and seek them just as he did in the garden of Eden so how do I finish this talk do I belt you over the head and make you feel guilty and say I am demanding that this week you must go out and win three people to Christ. No, it wouldn't work anyway. might make you feel guilty, might give you a sense of obligation, (laughs) might make you feel as though I better justify that I'm a Christian, but that's not the answer. That's not the answer. What is? How is it that you as a church and the church that I go to and other churches and and myself as an individual, how is it that we might have that sense of urgency to carry life to those who are dead? How? Do you know that Churnside Park Coles is the coldest Store in the whole of Melbourne, I'm convinced. You ever go into, um, you know, the Safeway or Woolies or wherever you go, and you go to the refrigerator section, and you're just about, you know, it's a Sahara outside, 42 degrees, <laughs> and you walk in, and you feel as though you've suddenly walked into the Antarctica, <laughs> and you feel as though I better put my coat on so cold do you ever get that cold that it's not just your skin that feels cold but it goes into your very bones and you feel so cold and I want you to imagine (coughs) that you are standing here and you are freezing and I'm over here and I've just had this magnificent new gas heater installed you know those ones with a nice flame across the front? They look like a flame, but they're gas, you know what I mean? But it looks really nice. And I'm standing here and I'm nice and toasty. <laughs> and I say, Hey, you're cold. You say, Yeah, I'm cold. <laughs> and, and I say, hey, hey, come over here. And as you come over, isn't it nice when you're freezing and you put your back to a fire and you can feel the warmth going through your body (laughs) 
and eventually all the cold is gone. And Jesus stands here and we stand there and he says, come over here. Come over close to my heart. And he says, where are you? Where are you with me? Because you see, the urgency in my heart and your heart, the urgency within this church's heart, is in direct proportion to how close you're standing to the heart of Jesus. Because when you stand close to the heart of him, there comes an urgency and a desire to spread the good news. So where are you, my dear friends? Where are you? You and I don't, isn't it true, need to come closer to him and let him warm our hearts so that we will not out of obligation but out of the warmth of his heart want to spread the good news. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. First of all, that you have come to us and that you have given us life when we were dead. And we thank you for those moments when we can recall being close to your heart and feeling like the disciples on the Emmaus Road, did not our hearts burn within us when we walk with him? And, oh, Lord, I pray that for each of us, as you come to us and say to us this morning, where are you? That you would draw us closer to yourself. We need you, Lord. Forgive us for moments of coldness, for moments of familiarity, for moments of being just satisfied with our own lives. And oh, grant us that your spirit would set alight again new fires within our heart. And all of God's people said, Amen.